When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The award-winning crunch time. Hawkins is there, three to beat. Oh, missed mark. Fuse with the snap. He's missed to the left as the siren sounds. And can you believe it? The Giants have beat Geelong in Geelong for three times in a row in Toby Green's 200th game. Knocks it to Draper. Sam bends over. Can handle to Langford into an open goal and kicks it. As easy as you like. He'll go back to Amos. Wheeling the 50, sudden hit it. And he does. Not bad either. Umpire's got the sit. Shouts! Up the back, screen the goal! A giant celebration for skipper Toby Green at the Cattery in game 200. The Dons get it done out in the West. While Luke Jackson gets the last laugh over his former side, the Dockers saluting at the G. In comes Connor McDonald. And he pops it through, so the Hawks are yet to lay down. Good kick. Moore's marked. He He plays on. Around the body goal. There it is. We have got the grandstand finish. Four to the play to Moore. Got it on the bump. Kicked inside. As Jacob Kaczynski kicks from 48 metres out. Beautiful. Arms raised. Fists Bruce almost ended up with it on the tap, coming back through. Dragged the ground was McDonald. Patting out a halfback. That's the sort of win young teams come of age with. Hawthorne with the last five goals to overrun St Kilda. And it's a heroic Saturday afternoon for Sam Mitchell's Hawks. Who said anything about tanking? The Hawks kicked the final five goals of the match to defeat the Saints by 10 points. Connor Nash to join us in the second hour. Snap inside, 50. Off hands, Holman, the 100 gamer. Hands it off to Rao. This would be a big goal from Matt Rao. It is a big goal from Matt Rao. And Eugle Hagen will have to fight against a few, and he does it. That was mark number nine for Eugle Hagen. And aiming for goal number three. Fans behind the goals are happy. Eugle Hagen waves to the crowd. Western, Western Bulldogs free kick. It was off camera, so we didn't actually see what it was. It's against Ben, ben Long. Long. I think he said pushing the back. Have a look on the Chemist Warehouse replay. So Cody Waitman on a tight angle to bring the margin to within a point. A big kick. He stands tall. His second of the night. And the Dogs have got a pulse. They go forward again. Powell has a crack at goal. It's a one-on-one in the goal square. King was taken down. Lacocious was. Humphrey snaps it down. Oh, oh crucial one late for the young man. The Moe Flyer. He's going to be a star, this boy. Bailey Humphrey sharked it off the pack and then snapped it. Round 11 travels to the top end where it was the Suns who prevailed over the Dogs. Could this be the win that instills the belief 
that September action is a reality. You're listening to Sunday Crunch Time. A warm welcome to Sunday Crunch Time here at the MCG ahead of Richmond and Yatapulti. Sarah Ollie here with Tom Morris and Scott Lucas. We're going to preview what's to come while also trying to make sense of the weird and wacky results across the weekend. Connor Nash and David Teague are our special guests today. But a very good morning to you, Tom and Scotty. And Tom, what a week it's been for you. I've got one tip so far, Sarah, <laughs> and that was Essendon versus West Coast. So it's not been a good week on the tipping front, but it's good to be here at the MCG. And it's great to see Damien Hardwick back on Twitter as well. At 10.07 this morning, he tweeted a photo of himself on the couch with his dog. I presume it's his dog. How long to go, Khan the Tigs, with a stone and wood in his hand at 10.07 a.m. on a Sunday. That is a man who is probably temporarily retired, Scotty. Until he's not. Until he's not. Now, <laughs> one tip for the week, but it was yeah. a big tip. What, Essendon? No, last Monday. Oh, Well done. <laughs> Thank you, Scotty. Well done. Thank you. Um, and it's interesting because I'm not always on the side of the journalists, but no. I'm absolutely dismayed at any discussion around your right to break that. It's your job. <laughs> uh, and well done. I mean, you got it right. What else do you want? And any other issues I find remarkable. I mean, it's up for – if you find it out – I would tend to take more umbrage with those that provided you those details in terms of loyalty to Richmond or the players not knowing, etc. That's not your issue. You've got a great story, one that's of incredible interest to so many, and you got it first. So well done. Thank you, Scotty. What I would say, Sarah, is that no one barracks for the journalist. So I think any journalist that tries to defend himself or herself no. and, and um, defend the position is not a necessarily a very popular person. But of course, any journalist, they're not going to sit on that story, are they? It, no. It's well, just because they come those stories, and if you don't break it, Tom, someone else yeah. is going to get wind of it a few hours, a few minutes, who knows, a few seconds later, and they're going to report it themselves. Mm. So good it's, on you. It's always coming out. It's a matter of when. I mean, I don't think we have to. We should have to line everything up and wait sure that everyone knows that it's good to go. I mean, great work, and um, everyone just appreciates. I think should accurate news reporting. Uh, when you've got it. Hopefully, That's all you can do. Hopefully. It was a great celebration of Damien Hardwick, though, wasn't it? Um, he won't be coaching today, which I think is a shame, but I think he handled himself very well in his press conference. I think once you're out, you're out, aren't you? Yeah. He goes, well, I'm done, so let's hand over. Because, and as Andrew McWalter said in his press conference, it's funny, we celebrated in the emotion of Monday, Tuesday. The next day, bang, we've got Port Adelaide this week, big game. What do we need to do? How do we set up? Who's doing the who's doing his line position now, etc. So that's the nature of footy. But you just, I think it's important just to appreciate the, the job that he did, mm. but also the toll that more broadly coaching is taking. Yep. on those people, and you've really got to feel for them. I think it's somewhat ignorant or to say, you know, oh, it's the best job in the world, get on with it, get over it. I think it's worthy of greater um, exploring about how we can keep these people that are great coaches in the game for longer, and whatever that might be. But, but I think a broader discussion needs to be had because we don't want to lose, and, and not just coaches, but different staff members, because we know on the back of COVID and the cuts and et cetera, and less staff, more work, because your players, 
it's an elite perform, an elite industry where you want best performance. So the players all of a sudden aren't going to say, well, we're happy with 20% less from you guys because there's 20% less staff. They want more. Collectively, they do because they all want to win. So we've just got to su- remember to support our people. And it was interesting here during the week, you know, I, I heard a, a comment for Gil around, um, you know, previously clubs were using it to go on, you know, overseas trips. So what? I just don't understand why the industry is back going that we still have, and perhaps I'm going off track and I apologise, football <laughs> department spend is down 30%. 37%. Look, yeah. what are we doing? Well, the game has bounced back since so, COVID, but that area of the game certainly hasn't. And so, I think David yeah. Teague will be a good person yeah. to pose these questions so to So I later. spoke to list managers all the time that are working every bit as hard as previously or harder that are still significantly reduced from pre-COVID. Now, it's all very good for head office to say that, but I imagine their wages have bounced back to the same level. Um, Marketing and other departments within a club aren't faced with the same level of cap. So why are we doing this to the football department? Mm. I think it's a discussion that we can have with David Teague later on, Sarah. I, I completely agree with you, Scotty. But I think we need a mature sit-down because clubs aren't doing it just to be whinging to the AFL. They're seeing it firsthand how their people are coping or aren't coping uh, with with the um, limitations that this cap is having. So Mm. let's have a reasonable conversation and work to the benefit of all. On the field, some really strange results across the weekend. (laughs) And so we're going to kick it off as we do every Sunday with our Sunday Snaps. All right. Have I got the first one, Sarah? There we go. Okay. Now, I'm an unashamed Dwayne Russell fan. Okay. I love Dwayne Russell's commentary. <laughs> Midday Madness, every day Do you is have fantastic. Have a favourite kind of Dwayneism? Oh, gold class, I really enjoy. Um, <laughs> but this to me, this Jesse Hogan specky yesterday was to me the best bit of commentary for the season. So, Lloyd just settles things down, tries to eat some time up as he kicks down towards the wing. Up goes oh. Hogan! Oh, spectacular mark! Jesse Hogan in front of the Reg Hickey stand. That is one of the great marks, thanks to Flight Centre, we've seen this year. I do love Dwayne Russell. That was Adam White. Also fantastic commentary. Oh, I, was, I, was, uh, I was just waiting for Dwayne to cut in there. Uh, Dwayne's not there. Dwayne's commentary. I wanted, I don't, but I you like Dwayne. I do love Dwayne. I do love Adam White. This could be... <laughs> Good morning, Whitey. Can we move on? That was a fantastic mark from Jesse Hogan. If you listen to that commentary on Dwayne on TV, he says he was four deep at the bar and they served him anyway. It was fantastic commentary. Adam White's also great. Sarah, who's got the next snap? I'll take the next Sunday snap. I don't have any audio to throw to, but perhaps that is a good thing given what just transpired then. Mine's also from that game. My Sunday snap is that Toby Green's the best thing to ever happen to the GWS Giants. 200 games yesterday, and for mine, still pound for pound, the best player in the league. Four goals to halftime, five for the match. He does win games off his own boot. And you know that metaphor of going to war with someone? I would go to war with Toby Green. I would stand shoulder to shoulder with him. I would, I would. (laughs) You'd be great in the trenches, Sarah. And he makes you walk taller and he he brings Mm. the best out of the rest of his teammates. And look, they've won three in a row at the Cattery, but I wasn't surprised that they got up for Toby in game 200. He's as uncompromising as it gets. Yeah. There are no conditions on his effort, is there? Or attack. Yeah. He's brilliant. I would love to see Toby Green as a premiership captain. 
I, as a footballer, yeah. as a person, as a player, like he he's potentially an all-time great, and I just hope that he can have another go at it. You never deserve it. No. But he almost does, and I entirely agree. Good snap, Sarah. Much better than mine. Outstanding. <laughs> yeah, well, it wasn't hard to be better than yours. He's 29, Toby Green. Do you reckon there is a chance that the Giants get there? Yes, I think there's a chance. They've got to get a move on a bit, but there's a chance. Scotty, your Sunday snap. Gold Coast. Mm. Really love what they're doing. Uh, you've got a coach under enormous pressure, uh, and that's just part of the business. Uh, four of their last six, included in that is a narrow loss to Melbourne, where they're excellent, and for three and a half quarters against the Lions. Very, very good. Uh, Drew has led them really well. They're getting so much out of their younger players. So you see the nucleus there. I think it's somewhat worrying if you're an old, you're winning, but your best players are all 30-plus. What happens eventually? But we saw King up forwards come back into the team. Rail's been enormous this year. Lukosius five last night. Anderson's been excellent. And what I like was the mature performance when the dogs kicked the first three. Yeah. Mm. You know, yep. it's just a, a, an evolution of that team despite some external noise. Perhaps it's great that they are up on the Gold Coast, so not everyone is obvious to it. But I've been really impressed with their performances. This team's starting to grow. We have seen a few false dawns before. I want to see them go on with it this year and really push for a top eight spot. Mm. It was gutsy as well because not only did they have a lead to peg back, but towards the death as well, the dogs were coming and you thought they're going to run over the top here. All the momentum was with the dogs. And then another young player, Bailey Humphreys. He looks good, doesn't he? He was my snap snap last week. I love him. Well, that can't be diminished after that goal. Mm. But you know what it came off? A critical one-on-one contest win from Raul at centre-half forward. Dogs yeah. go long down the ground, Raul impacts, ball ends up in the forward pocket, and then the class finish of Humphreys. Don't underestimate the value of the Gold Coast Suns training in these sorts of conditions for much of the summer. Um, they know or they feel as if that's a big advantage for them. And that might be enough, even if it is actually not an advantage, Scotty. Spot on. And we've spoken about it before, you know, when Port Adelaide believed no one could outrun them. Yeah. And right now, Collingwood are that. It might not be physical. The, the majority of that may be the mental side of the game where they know we're ready to go and late in the game. That might be what, you're quite right, might be what got them over the, the line, that self-belief that we train in it, we're used to it, away we go. As well as a little bit of doubt from the dogs. Yeah, that's right. Gee, it's hot. Gee. Especially from Ballarat. Ballarat yeah. to um, yeah. Darwin is a, is a big change of yeah. climate, isn't it? Yep. And the other thing about the Gold Coast Suns is they don't even have Tuke Miller as well, who is arguably their most important player, certainly the most consistent midfielder. And that says something given what Anderson and Rao are doing at the moment and Humphrey. But, um, you know, he'll get back later in the season. And who knows how deep they could go and what that does for Stuart Jew, but they're doing the right things. We spoke about Noah Anderson a couple of weeks ago when he had that outstanding performance and we were going, oh, perhaps we don't pay enough attention towards the likes of Anderson because they are a little bit off-Broadway. And I think I was the one that said, for me, he's gone past Matt Rao. Matt Rao yesterday, though, was absolutely sensational. 16 clearances. He's just so tough at the cold face. And he's certainly evolving as well. He's kicked a few goals lately. I think he took his first or second bounce the other day. So he's starting to get a little bit more flair to his game as well. Yeah, I think uh, at times, and clubs are very good at protecting their players, and players, um, they don't make excuses. Mm. They really can cop a lot and don't reveal the full detail. 
but I reckon he played hurt for a fair bit of the last couple of years because he had that amazing start to his career. Did he first get, three games. Yeah, best on ground, and then had some knee trouble and so forth. And I just think he's taken time to get over those and feel like he's running on top of the ground. I still think you're right with Anderson. I think there's a short half-head in it, and it's a week-to-week discussion because they're different, but they're both excellent. Jack Lacocious, mm. do we play him forward? Is that where we want to see, see him stay? Because four goals in, what, in the second quarter, five yeah. for the match. Where is he best uh, used? You need a few of him almost, don't you? It's a great question because previously I'd thought interceptor halfback kicks it well, can play the third tall role, helps their back line because they've got a couple of guys in their backs that are really competitive but not elite ball users. Mm. So therefore he complements that. Sarah, to your point, there's very few players with the level of ability or class to kick four and a quarter, five for the game. So you could make a great case that he's not wasted is the wrong use of the word, but not fully utilised if he is in the back half because it's tough up forward. And Tom, I'm sure we'll get onto it a little bit around Melbourne yeah. as well as uh, as a loyal supporter you're lamenting their woes is somewhat harder, at the is, moment. Is it harder to find a good forward or a good user off halfback, like Lacocious. Like, I feel like it's... Good forward. Yeah, they're, so, they're so hard to find. So given because that you found one, you should use him there. You know what? As simple, if we want to make it as simple as we can, you're yeah. spot on. Yeah. If you've got someone that's capable of kicking three-plus goals in a game, mm. there's an obvious place that they should play because it's a bloody tough position. And I think we don't talk about that enough. That hey, And Freo, to a little... I think that's the one thing that, that stops them last year, this year, from realising their full potential is that key forward that can bail you out. We saw Max King do it for Hawthorne. We've seen Geelong's forwards do it time and time again. Toby as well. If you've got them, uh, they they make all the difference. Look, Toby kicks four in the first half. That's the game, isn't it? Yeah. If, it's not, if Toby's not there, there's no other player in that team that can do that. If the same player ran to the same positions, he doesn't win those con- doesn't kick those goals. They might get one or two. Mm. So that's how important it is. And Melbourne don't quite have it at the moment. Uh, when you've got it with Lacocious, play up forward. It says a bit that we're starting the show talking about the Gold Coast Suns and how they've turned and how they're playing some good footy for the first time this year on a consistent basis, Sarah. And they've got these players, aside from Ben King, who's out of contract at the end of next year, who've all signed long-term. So they... At a glance, it looks like the club is moving in the right direction, but then there is the big shadow of Damien Hardwick yeah. that lingers over the club and whether they would be better with him or not. But at the moment, they're doing everything they can, and yesterday was a, scal- a scalp against the Western Bulldogs. Embrace that, though. Your point's valid. You know, would they be better off with Hardwick? How many teams in the competition would be? Mm. Seven or eight or nine or ten? Depends on where you rank Damien Hardwick as a coach. You know, some way we'll find a ranking. Who's the best? Who's? I oh know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't change my coach for him. Yeah, I would. I might. I'd consider it. So, I think that's just embrace that. Uh, but and we'll chat about it later on. But it really is interesting what Dimmer's decision means from a domino point of view with other mm. clubs, etc. So the Suns are now five and six. I believe this. Are they staying up in Darwin? Yeah, they've yeah. got two weeks up there, so they're playing there next week so as well. So they're playing Adelaide yeah, next. Which so that's be, another big test, isn't it? They need to win that. They should. Adelaide have played good football, but as we've saw, seen last night, the way that they performed, that they should go into that game confident. And as you said, familiar with the conditions, used to it, spending the week there, they should turn, really, they should expect a turn at 6-6 six and six and be on the fringe of the eight. 
on the flip side, the dogs are now seven and four with the cats next. What did we take from their performance last night? Didn't lose any friends? Zero. Zero. Um, if we, they played, as you said, they played last week down in Ballarat. Fair contrast. Been up for a while. Tough competition. Were they six or five or six in a row? Yeah. Um, still played some decent football last night. Um, Gold Coast were just a bit better. Yeah. And I think Gold Coast are okay. So, no, they don't walk away. They didn't play at their best. But it's a game of inches now. And we've seen, and you know, yesterday we were discussing, weren't we, you know, teams that are just up and down. And if you're a little bit off, you get done. The Western Bulldogs had 20 inside 50s in the second quarter and it kicked us two behinds. Um, so that, that'll th- be the area. That was and the moment where I thought, geez, the, the Suns are defending really well here or holding them off. And in the end, they ran over them. Extra 18 inside 50s for the game. Yeah. So when they review it, they'll go, well, our effort was clearly good. We got the ball inside forward 50. How is our connection? What can we do better there? Did we position ourselves well? Did we not play the conditions right? Did we try and mark it a lot when, you know, slippery conditions and so forth, maybe they should have played a little bit differently, got them up, got it over the back, etc. A little bit like that last ball that bounced over on Lukosius and he didn't quite get it. Yeah. Remember, they all rolled up the ground, got it out the back, running race back. Tough to mark. Let's play that sort of game. Lost no friends. A real positive for the Blues as well. Not the Blues, I should say. The Dogs. <laughs> you is, haven't seen that so I was, in, I was dogs, interested to see how is, you're going to weave that, Sarah. He's Liam Jones, of course, formerly yeah. at yes. the Blues. But he's come into this side. We didn't really know what to expect from him. Um, of course, we knew his ability, his ability to intercept. But he is proving so important to that back line. Well, it was a year out of the game. And at that age, you go, gee, does the body just start to seize up? Is it hard to get going mm. again? Does the game change uh been outstanding i gave him i think he had seven or eight possessions last week and i did the game for uh afl nation and i gave him a vote Mm. because he just got in the way a lot now i think he had he had a significant amount of intercept marks last night so he was dominant he's uh he's in real form now i don't think he's ever been an all australian he'd have to be in the squad and at the moment because of the impact that he's had he's been Mm. outstanding who would you have in the All Australian backline at the moment? Because you'd think that Darcy Moore would certainly oh, have lock. to be anchoring he'd be, a position. Oh, he'd be my captain. Yeah, I think yeah. that's fair at the moment. Uh, Sicily'd have to be in there. Well, how about yesterday's performance? Forty-three possessions. Yeah, fair. Day and we'll at the talk office. about his MRO trouble in a little bit as well in the news oh, whip. But he could be in some strife. Tom, the negativity. It's just factual. We have to cover it, Scotty. It's we will factual. Get that the news yeah. Yeah. But who else is going to be occupying p- spots in that back line when it comes to the All Australian team? Jack because Sinclair at halfback. Cal, Wink- yeah. Cal Wilkie. He's also Wilkie, been playing yes, very been well. Excellent. And we're going to miss someone, of course. Ballard at Gold Coast has put together a good year. Too. Yeah, he's fantastic, Ballard. Hard to go past Stephen May. I mean. He's been also. a bit more inconsistent, Stephen May. Yes. Than his usual self, but do we mark him harder? We do, yeah. but he's still the hardest guy to get a kick on. Yeah. I think Darcy Moore's the clear centre-half back, and then you work clear. around that. Clear. Yeah. Clear centre-half back. And you'd have back. him as your captain, would you? Yes. I would, yeah. Who's but, second? That's more the question. Maybe yeah, next week we get somebody to do the, his um, halfway so, mark All-Australian team. So right now they're 9-1. and one. So he's the captain of the team that are on top of the ladder, and he's played some outstanding football. And we've seen... Uh, his leadership in different forms this year, mm. for mine, he's a lock. Marcus Bontempelli, again, a really strong game for the Dogs yesterday. How have you viewed his season? Because we're talking about him as a Brownlow fancy. I mean, Top all the, the chat was Nick Dacos at the start of the yep. season. But I think Marcus Bontempelli's probably pegged him back. For yours, is is yeah. he the favourite? Uh, yes. 
he would be without going over it. I think Nick's had a quieter three weeks, a good three weeks. But remember, and you're right to ask, Sarah, when we're talking Brownlow, we're talking about best on the ground. Well, Bont was close last week. I think I might have given him the three votes. Um, strong again last night, although they got beaten. But he's just been consistent. Mm. He's been consistently close to their best player in every game. He's got some mates there, though. They've yep. had a really good uh, contribution from several players at the Dogs. We talk about underrated. I mean, Libba, just for them, he's hit the support that he provides Bond Pally and the different look that he gives. He's had a super season. Can I just change track for a second? Of course. Trent Cochin is out of the MCG at the moment. He's the first Richmond player out on the ground. This will be the first time he plays under a coach that's not Damien Hardwick since his 25th game which was 2009. It's just a massive shift, isn't it, for the Richmond Football Club? Him and Jack Rewalt, you'd imagine, retire at the end of the year. I'm looking at Cochin now. He played very well last week as well, Sarah. Yes, he it, did. Albeit in a loss. Um, and it's just a shame that he doesn't get to go at the same time as his coach, but he's been an, he's been an amazing player. And a Brownlow medalist, let's not forget that. And when you think about the big four at Richmond, I mean, Peggy O'Neill's gone, Cochin's no longer captain, Dimmer's gone, and Brendan Gale, well, he's being linked with jobs at the AFL, and it's mm. pretty likely that by the end of the year, those big four, they'll no longer be there, the end of the year. Would you like to see him at the AFL, Sarah? I think he'd do very well at the I AFL. I think he would, yeah. I think he would. It's just whether what he wants to do now. Given that he he's on record, he went for Andrew Dillon's job. Oh, he went for the CEO job. He yep. missed out. Um He'd be a fantastic footy boss, probably in a more wide-ranging role than what Steve Hocking or Brad Scott had. You know, he'd be his part of his portfolio would have to be Tasmania as well, which of course is his home state. Um, and then you'd probably be able to get someone in underneath Brendan Gale to f really focus on footy ops, more specific, more like what Brad Scott did as well. Um, but there is there is considerable change happening at Richmond, and that will continue. I'd imagine they'd need to put something fairly enticing forward to him other than just the footy ops role. Yeah, he'd, that, that would be more than footy ops. Yeah, it I would have to be. I think he would be, be more hands-on, perhaps, yeah. than previous that, footy ops bosses. In inverted commas, probably bore him a little bit, wouldn't it? General Getting into the nuance of the footy ops and, you know, the MRO. Or, you know, yeah, he, doesn't, he, they, doesn't, no, he doesn't want to be dealing with that. So they would have to have a very high-level job description for him, I would assume, to entertain that. Mm. This is the Saturday Night Wrap for Underworks. For all-day comfort, everyday quality and everyday style, it has to be all-day socks by Underworks. All-day comfort, all-day socks by Underworks. All right, stick with us on Sunday Crunch Time. Up next, big wins for the Dockers and the Hawks. We'll unpack it all. You're listening to Crunch Time. Zito Power Tools. German-designed quality and innovation powering DIYers. All day, every day. Visit Berwick GMW Haval and test drive the GWM Canon CC. Part of the Berwick Motor Group. We've been around footy long enough to know that things can turn really, really quickly. And the Dockers are going to conquer Melbourne at the MCG for the second year in a row. Seven points, four consecutive wins for the Dockers, and they are right back in this season. Welcome back to Crunch Time for Ozito, powering DIYers all day, every day at Bunnings. And yes, it was a bit of deja vu yesterday at the MCG with the Dockers. They were just too strong over the D's seven-point winners. Of course, Nam is the D's, and while you're up being Fremantle, while we're in Sir Doug Nichols' round... It was a tight tussle, and the D's had every chance, Tom. But yep. in the end, just a few clutch moments. I thought the Dockers, they stood up. Yeah, the Dockers stood up really well. I mean, it is 365 days ago exactly today 
that Fremantle beat Melbourne here at the MCG when the D's were 10 and naught, and the Dockers did the same to them yesterday. Um, Luke Jackson in the third quarter. Does that ring a bell? This time it was for the Fremantle Dockers, mm, not Melbourne bell, Football Club. <laughs> uh, he was fantastic in the ruck after Sean Darcy went down with a hamstring. We'll talk about that later. Um, but Simon Goodwin after the game was clearly frustrated, and he hasn't really been this visibly frustrated after matches all year. Um, he said, we want to be a team that wins. We've got work to do. We were inefficient, whether it be across the ground or in front of goal. And very rarely is he critical of how they play in such a, a pointed way. But he was after the game yesterday. And I think anyone watching it would see that Melbourne probably let it slip, but Fremantle probably also deserved to win. Two things can be true at once. Well, let's hear from Simon Goodwin and some of that frustration. I think it was as much ball use as anything. Um, so we need to have a look at all that. Um, but as I said, we sit here frustrated because you, you don't win a game of footy and you give yourself a chance to win a game of footy. But we just didn't execute with the ball. So um, we need to get better. You know, that's where we sit at the moment, but we're, we're frustrated. We want to we wanna be a team that wins. Um, so we've got some work to do. Scotty, that disconnect between the midfield and the forward line is evident when Melbourne lose. Is it a serious problem for them if they want to go deep in the season? Yes, it's a problem. Yep. We can debate uh, the seriousness of it or the level, but it is more inside 50. So their, their game held up. They won the contest. Like th That's their bread and butter, isn't it? And they often talk about it. Plus 16 in the contest. That's great. Six more inside 50s, 10 goals. It's their front half and mm -hmm. really how they connect. And you can look at – you'd really want to break down each entry and go, okay – Poor kick, poor decision, or forwards not running good patterns. Sometimes a poor pattern from a forward is the reason why the mid's put under pressure. I mean, if you get open, any decent footballer can hit a target. But if your forwards um, aren't working hard enough or aren't quite up to speed on that, then that can, be, can become a problem. Free are also a very good back, back line as well which makes it that bit more difficult but if we talk more broadly it seems to it is the theme with melbourne isn't it it's the one area outstanding midfield mm. best in the comp um oliver out i know mm. lever may down back excellent two great ruckman two gr got the good balance there but they just can't kick enough score in their front half mm. from the entries they get because i would say each week they would win the inside 50 count so that's also setting up behind the ball Really good contest work from clearance. Got the Ruckman. Just don't get the most out of it. So then you've got to look at positioning. Do we give our mids a good enough chance to hit targets? And then the personnel down there. Yeah. And you've got to work on it. Yeah. Are they only just travelling the Ds? Oh, they are. Yeah. So seven wins this season and six of them have come against West Coast, North, Hawthorne, Richmond, Gold Coast and Sydney. So they're mm. not huge scalps really. No. They're, they're teams they should be beating. Is it kind of hiding the fact that perhaps not everything is going so well when it comes to Melbourne? Well, they will know that everything's not going well. Mm. More broadly, we look at, you're right, Sarah, we look at the ladder, seven and four, fourth on the ladder, they're going okay. But when you dig a bit deeper and see who they're against, a little bit of luck against the Gold Coast, if that swings, mm. you know, you're six and five, not seven and four. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that's the one area. Internally, no doubt they're well aware. Mm. I mean... You know, you look at it analytically, you study the data, you know where the areas in your game are that you need to improve. You want to look at the glass half full, and that's your job as a coach. As you said last year, they were 10 and zip, yeah, flying. I still remember often saying they're, the four, they're four goals better than anyone else mm -hmm. at that point in time. Uh, they didn't make the grand final. 
They, so make, things, they didn't make a prelim either. That's right. So things change. So what I'm saying is they've got time. They've got to identify it. They've got to rectify it. Plenty of time left. Remember, you've got to be playing well at the right time also. Was it the year they won the flag? Were they six or seven down at halftime against Geelong? They Did they come back yeah. and win that? In round 23 yeah. when Max Gorn kicked the goal off the siren. So they were seven goals down in the last game against Geelong. It, about, they were fair yeah, way roughly. down. Yeah, roughly. So if Geelong had a nutted them that game... They wouldn't have finished first. They would have finished the whole final series. So what I mean is timing. Get yeah. it right. I yep. will say this, Sarah. Across the last 35 games Melbourne have played, so that's last year mm. and this year, They've consistently failed against top four teams. So in that period, they've won 23 games, which isn't bad. But just five of these wins have been against top eight teams. And none of those wins have been against top four teams. So in 2022, they lost two games to Sydney, two games to Collingwood. They lost to Geelong. Yes, they beat Brisbane twice, but then lost to them in a final. And this year, they've lost to Brisbane and Port, who are top eight teams. So the, the lack of consistency or the lack of wins against top eight teams and no wins against top four teams over the last 18 months is actually now a pattern yeah. that, is con- that has existed for the best part of a year and a half. And there is only one possible conclusion you can draw from that. Mm. They're not quite good enough. Exactly right. At the, this point in time to compete with the very best team. So they're not quite Carlton or a mid-ranked team. They're better than that. But they're also not Collingwood or Brisbane or a top-ranked team. And then the question has to be asked, Sarah, if they don't win a flag this year and if they if they struggle next year, does this group, to really frank their potential, need to win a second premiership in this era? Because you set a high standard. They won a premiership. They did an amazing job to win that flag. They played a great month of footy. But you think with Petrarca and Oliver and May and Lever and Gorn, this group should probably at least play in another grand final, probably another flag. They'll be one short. I would think on the talent that they've got, but they need to evolve. Mm. That is the question they need to ask and how they do that. Is it do they need to play Petrarca semi? They've got to try something different. Is it Petrarca plays out of the square a little bit more to give them that power up forward? But they need to do something different because, you know, as they say, if you keep doing the same thing over and over again uh, and expect a different result... What's it called? You're an idiot. <laughs> so you're, what you're saying is if they don't get another flag out of this group, if they don't maximise the mm. talent that's there, in your eyes it's a bit of a failure. Well, yeah, I, I think it's probably a slightly lesser version of what Scotty lived through in 2000. <laughs> I, was about, I didn't want to... Yeah, we're one no, it short. Is. It is. If you we have... finished on top three years in a row and we got one for it. I would think if you asked collectively the players that played, because mm. some of the 2000 team played in 93, so they got two. Yeah. All of us that only played in one are jealous, and we feel that we missed one. Don't I'm... tell me... Whichever one you want, we finished on top three years in a row and won one. Brisbane thoroughly deserved all their flags, didn't finish on top once. Yeah. But they timed it well. Yeah. There's a little bit of that. And, and I think, and you're quite right, Tom, I think Melbourne would feel if this um, petered out, so to speak, and they just went back to the, you know, the, the lower half of the top eight and made the finals the next few years and then sort of it starts to rebuild at some point in time, they'll feel that they missed one yep. without question. Because their best players, aside from Gorn and May, are still all in their 20s. So they've got time to do it. But time runs out pretty quickly as well. They've yeah. got anyway. too many good players in their team. Yeah. That was what was going on at the MCG. This is what was going on at Marvel Stadium. So Warple up to use a quick hand pass today. It's the Hawks who go forward. Kick was to an outnumbered Lewis. Brewster's at the back. Doubles back. Opens up the possibility and snaps a ripper. 498th career goal. Puts the Hawks in front as well. 
So in the end, St Kilda 12-6-78. They lost to Hawthorne 12-16-88. The Hawks recording a 10-point win. And really, when you were looking at the last term, the Saints were 20 points mm. up and Jack Higgins actually had a bit of a botched opportunity on goal. If he kicks that, there's no way the Saints don't get up. But in the end, Hawthorne, they kicked the final five goals, if you don't mind. It was a really compelling win. And if they'd kicked a bit straighter, they would have won by a bit more. The Sam Mitchell blueprint is starting to take some shape, Scotty. They exceeded expectations last year, I think. And they are now this year. They're playing some good footy. It's amazing how an easy kill against West Coast can lead to some confidence against a harder team at home against St Kilda. You don't agree? No. Is there any chance that there's a possible mindset change? Uh, explain. Well, <laughs> look, the, the reality is with the way that they turned over their list, they had a thought in mind, didn't they? When they did that, they passed those players out. What, rebuild? Yeah, and the way that they wanted to rebuild. Um, I mean, I think they would have been more than happy to finish with pick one don't get me wrong, mm. and play good football. Um, and that's not tanking to me. So please don't attribute anything. Don't put them in the same sentence. So they play last week against West Coast and they win. And I think they'd probably go, well, we can't worry about this anymore. West Coast is so bad. No matter what, no matter what we try to do, I can't <laughs> see them winning another game. Let's just push on with what we've got yeah, to yeah. do. <laughs> push on. Yeah, we've got to push on. That, yeah, yeah. that, that Ship has sailed. Yeah. We'll ju we're just going to play. Your point's well made. Yeah. He knows what he's doing. We yeah. saw that last year with the way that they want to play. Seems a very clear, concise message. Um, and what I really love about it, um, and we mentioned it with Gold Coast, let's not forget the amount of pressure on Hawthorne. Um, we can talk about the why and the how, but this playing group and the coach have had a lot of attention that they would prefer mm. not to have on their club. And I just thought the way that you look at a leader like Sicily to play like that with the week they've had and the CEO has stood down and so forth. And this is affecting quite a few clubs. Let's not um, mince words on that. But to come out and play like that the last couple of weeks is a good effort. And we're seeing, you know, they talk about green shoots, but some of those young players that have contributed, such as Weddle, who's only been in the team the last two or three weeks, Connor McDonald back with the flight of the ball, key timing getting really good return out of Bruce senior players. So there's a really good blend there. Has um, the bubble burst at all for St Kilda though, who on the flip side are now seven and four with the bye to come? Their win-loss, win-loss, win-loss pattern at the moment is a concern. Are they that defensive mojo that was kind of emblematic of, of the Ross line at the start of the season? So I'll follow a question with a question. Do they play the most gruelling game style of any team? Well... Uh, Ross Lyons players from a decade ago would say yes. Yeah. I, I don't know whether the players now would say that, but they're, they're a, a six to ten team, and that's yeah. probably how they're playing at the moment. They've probably played above themselves at the start of the season if there is such a thing, mm -hmm. and this will be a disappointing loss for them, but they've got sore players as well. Jack Steele's not 100% fit. Um, they're, they're not at their best, and they haven't been for a number of weeks, the Saints. But conversely, they've had one of the best key forwards in the comp come into the team and perform the last two weeks. So it's we been amazing, talk, hasn't it? So we can talk about, you know, they're a bit sore, they're a bit this, but Max is back in the team and playing super. So mm. they'll be really disappointed with, with yesterday's performance, but also uh, you've got to acknowledge Hawthorne. Can we acknowledge doing. James Sisley? What a performance. Is it the individual performance of the year? Well, we were lauding Zach Butters. I liked Zach Merritt on um, yeah, Dreamtime like the G. Yeah. Uh, well, I think from a non-midfielder, it's the individual performance from a year. 
43 disposals, 22 seen, intercept possessions, yeah. 8 intercept marks. He was everywhere. And he was courageous late oh, as well. It's close. I mean, Cameron's played a couple of big games this year. I saw Tomahawk live against the Bombers. Mm. Yeah, but it's right up there. Absolutely. But have we ever seen two? Look, Hawthorne are now third bottom, but... They're three and eight. Last week they were one, they played against West Coast, who were, they were both one and mm. eight. Is there ever been a difference, such a big difference between second bottom and bottom that we've ever seen? It's starting to look very stark, isn't it? We're we're Melbourne based, so we focus predominantly on those teams. But the West Coast situation is really quite mind-boggling for me. Yeah. It, is. Isn't it? it certainly is. It's taken it, so many different directions. We sort of gloss over. We just go, well, let's we'll talk about Carlton later, and, and quite rightly so. But can you imagine the amount of heat on if West Coast were Hawthorne, Richmond, Carl? Imagine if West Coast would do it. If Carl were doing what West Coast <laughs> would do, self combust. The place would be on fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, SEN merch is now available. Get your exclusive SEN branded T-shirts at merch.sen.com.au. The News Whip is coming up next. We're also going to unpack the Cats and the Giants. Our coffees are coming in. And Tom, you're a disgrace. He's got a chai latte, Scotty. I don't drink coffee. All right, we'll see you on the other side of this. You're listening to Crunch Time. Zito Power Tools. German-designed quality and innovation powering DIYers. All day, every day. Visit Berwick GMW Haval and test drive the GWM Canon CC. Part of the Berwick Motor Group. Boundary throw in. Will land 35 out. Briggs got to the front of it. Got it going towards goal. Little soccer kick off the ground. Cornelio, top of the square. Trying to kick it off the ground. Handball came from Cornelio after Riccardi overran it. And Daniels is on the end of it. He kicks his third. And that's how you salute your skipper in game 200. The Giants 12-9-81 recording a seven-point win over Geelong 10-14-74. And it really was a game all about Toby Green. Five goals, four your in boy, the Sarah. first half. What a match from him and what a gutsy performance by the Giants who have now won their past three games down at GMHBA Stadium. Riddle me that, Scotty. How does a club like the Giants <laughs> win three games in a row at a fortress like GMHBA Stadium? It's the Giants' fortress. What are you talking about? Yeah, true. for Giant. Um, <laughs> uh, just one of those quirks, isn't yeah. it, really? Um, to look more at the game yesterday... Slightly undermanned, but still at home. Didn't play well. It was really right from the start of the game, wasn't it? You, you, they were on. Yes, they were on. And you thought, okay, well, Geelong need to, to flip this because the Giants had established the early ascendancy, both scoreboard and the way that they were playing. They were really cracking in, playing a good game. And you're right. And don't underestimate. I know coaches will often say, well, you can't try harder than try hard. But, you know, Toby 200 and the way that he goes about it, um, you know, he can shift the mood and the dynamic of the team. And I think he certainly did that early. Um, because he was able to establish his own game and lead so well early on, it was almost set in stone in a sense with momentum and confidence. And the confidence that a team gains during that and also conversely when you look at the Cats, it just deflates a little bit and then they start doubts build. Gee, we've got to get our game going. Gee, the G Toby, he can take it away from us at any time. Would have been... In their mind at times, no doubt about it. Are you, but, are you concerned about Geelong, though? Well, of course you're concerned because they're five and six, they're out at the eight, and they've got injuries that aren't all coming back next week. So there's concerns there, yeah. quite rightly so. Uh, and the coach is pretty honest, isn't he? We're yeah. not playing anywhere near what we need to. We think we know why, but it does become a race in the end, Tom, 
that there's only there's a finite amount of games. You don't get forever to correct it. So, mm. you know, it's 11 down, 12 to go, uh, but you need some personnel back. And um, let's not underestimate, though, the impact. And we talk about Toby and his imprint across the entire group. Let's not underestimate ever Joel Selwood and the imprint that he had on that group right up to the very end when it, perhaps he wasn't their top five or six players. But it's just all the little things and the way that he um, gets them going and sets a standard and leads that group. He's not there anymore. So let's never underestimate that. That's as big a loss as you will ever have in a team when a player leaves. So they've got that to work through in addition. But then Dangerfield, their midfield's out. Patrick Dangerfield, every chance Duncan. to come back next week. But uh, Geelong, Guthrie, Sarah... You can keep listing the names in the areas of the ground that they can't afford to lose players. Geelong, Sarah, remind me a bit of what we've been saying about the Tigers the last few years. You wouldn't want to face them in a final if they finished 5th, 6th, 7th or 8th. And that looks... Uh, significantly more likely than finishing top four at five and six. That looks pretty much out of the question completely. Well, that well, is the problem as well. And you add Radagalia to their injury concerns. Mm. As soon as he went off, they looked a little bit rudderless down back as well. They're five and six with the dogs to come. Then they've got the bye and then Port and the Ds. That's a tough stretch of games for a side that needs to win games not just to stay in the top eight, but to stay in contact with the top four, which is where Geelong would want to oh. be by the pointy end of the season. It's a great point, Sarah. You look at next week at the Dogs. Look, they're up and about. Now, they still played some good footy last night, but at Marvel Stadium, quick track. I know who I'll be tipping. Not that that means anything the way that I'm mm -hmm. going this weekend. Beat opposite of Essendon, who finished low last year, and they get West Coast twice, North Melbourne twice, and they got three of those four to come. Geelong have a much harder draw by virtue of the fact they finish in the top six. Um, that's the way the AFL fixtures it. But you say it's a hard run for them, and you're right, but they've got a hard fixture in general. I know they get to play games at home, but in terms of who they play, they're playing broadly against better teams the entire year. So it's hard to go on a run for them. And Chris Scott is very keen not to make excuses, but the reality is that they have personnel issues. They don't have their best team out there. And some of their best team up. So Isaac Smith won the Norm Smith medal. Mm. Has he played, in fairness to him, and he's getting... Everyone gets a year... As you get a year older, and father, father time's never beaten, uh, <laughs> has he played a game like that this year? No. He might not have played another game like that in his career, to be fair, but no, he hasn't been at his <laughs> best no, this year. that's right. And yeah. we haven't seen Duncan and Dangerfield. Now, in respect to them, they're not 25. So no. at some point, it does take a toll. It was copped more heat, though, when it comes to last year's grand finalists, the Swans or the Cats? The Swans have copped more heat. I think we give Geelong more of a mulligan because they won last year's grand final, but the reality is they were both there on the last, day, last Saturday in September. Well, and they're they, both five and, and six now, and both five this is the point I'm making. Yes, yeah. but I think the big element is we wanted to, or too many wanted to attach the failure of Sydney in the grand final to their form this year. So the discussion is... Does have it have they, no correlation? Surely there's a correlation. I don't, I don't think so. You don't think so? They got beaten badly on yeah, okay. one day. Okay. Uh, perhaps to certain players it might, uh, but we've also seen other teams move on and come back and, you know, right that wrong a little bit. So I think it probably can work both ways. But knowing the Swans is they've been there before, like a lot of those players are experienced that, you know, that, that, that's life. We'll move on. We'll take out of it what we need. We had a bad day. Get on with it. I reckon, you know... And there's heat on – but I see, I don't think there should be a lot of heat on either because both have got enormous injury lists. Like every time Sydney get beaten, you can point to the fact they don't have a back line. Yeah. You know, Geelong smacked them. Hawkins had um, Will Gould on him who – Callum Mills. Yeah, Callum, Callum Mills on him yeah, at Callum one point. Mill. Yeah, Callum Mills. Yeah, like w what can we honestly expect from that matchup? 
Yeah. So that's where we've got to just dig a bit deeper and say, okay, there's really good reasons why. But you believe in the culture and you believe in the club and know that this might last 10. It might last a year for both teams, but they'll come back. Yeah. And also, but at some point it ends. Yeah. Look, Sydney, uh, the reliance, fairly so, is on third or fourth highest goal kicker of all time. Like, buddy, if, if we, we do say reasons why, well, let's talk. Bud, Bud, unfortunately and sadly, can't get near it, can he? Mm. So, so that has a, a flow-on effect to the team's performance. But we respect why he's playing this year and we respect the career that he's had. But he's not Bud of yesteryear. Plenty more to come on Sunday Crunch Time. Joining us in the second hour, Connor Nash and David Teague. You're listening to Crunch Time. Zito Power Tools. German-designed quality and innovation powering DIYers. All day, every day. Visit Berwick GMW Haval and test drive the GWM Canon CC. Part of the Berwick Motor Group. Hello and welcome to Crunch Time for Ozito, powering DIYers all day, every day at Bunnings. And a very warm welcome if you are joining us for the first time all around the country. Sarah Ollie here with Tom Morris and Scott Lucas. Had a rather grey MCG, a bit of drizzle out ahead of Richmond taking on Yartapolti. Of course, Damien Hardwick, he will not be in the coach's box. It's Andrew McWalter filling in as the interim. And a really weird weekend of footy with the Hawks, Dockers, Giants, Suns and Bombers all getting up yesterday. But as we do in the second hour of every Sunday, let's head to the Sunday Sermon. Now it's time for the Sunday Sermon on Crunch Time. Over to you, Tommy. Thank you, Sarah. Hello, Scotty, again. So, Carlton. Oh, Carlton. An exhibition of mediocrity, factional disharmony, and as Jared Waitley described it yesterday, their plight is an ever-present doom spiral. The Blues appear paralysed by their own lofty expectations, and frankly, Harry Mackay's kicking for goal highlights this. Mackay, though, is not the sole issue. Having lost six of their last seven, Carlton's problems are multi-layered. Is the coach strategically adept? Is the coaching group tactically proficient? Is the midfield too one-dimensional? Do they use Adam Sard enough from half-back? What's going on with Paddy Down, Tom DeConing? How can two Coleman medalists not kick a winning score? There are disconnects everywhere. And it's not that we ask questions about Carlton on a weekly basis. Every team has questions and weak points. It's that every week we are getting no closer to finding out the answers, which gives us the impression that these answers are drifting further away. After 11 rounds, it's become strikingly apparent the more we try to understand the Blues, Scotty, Sarah, the less we actually know. And wild results across the whole weekend, but I thought on Friday night this was one of the wilder ones as well because the Blues simply had to come out and they had to win against a Sydney team that is lacking some serious personnel. The Blues, we come to know them as a contested team. Well, the SCG should suit that. Mm -hmm. They should be beating the Swans, who... Apart from West Coast, the Swans have conceded the most points from stoppage this year. So if Carlton were going to come up against a side that they should use their weapons against, mm. it should have been the Swans. But instead, they're 26-point losers and they're sitting well and truly out of the eight now at four, six and one. And it ain't getting easier with the Melbourne to come. A terrible performance. There's no other way to look at it. So the Sydney cricket ground with the forwards that you had is designed to be a centre clearance ground game. Mm. Win that own field position, lock it in. Beaten 
Does Sydney have a ruckman at the moment? Tommy, he played, but he's not still not fully fit. So he's so underdone in that mm. regard. Um, so more scoring shots: six fifteen to eleven eleven, one goal six, and a kick into the man on the mark from their two pillars. Just can't get the job done. So I do feel for Carl. I don't feel for Carlton as such, but the coaches and so forth are copying a lot of heat. And is, that's that, okay. is that rightly so? Do you think? Yes. But everyone's copying heat at that club at the moment. No, yes. no one is exempt from the heat. No, no, no. So the coaches should. But if you dial down the game to that, you go, well, when we had 21 scoring shots uh, to 22, one on the man on the mark, probably square there. Yeah. We've got to start to convert. Mm. Um, so that's a coach killer, but you're quite right. They need to be better in that regard. Uh, you could look at the collective coaching um IP around that group and, and have a look at that. But the players need to do better as well. And Jacob Wiedering summed it up fairly well. that He goes, you know, we need to take it upon ourselves and really own it as well. Because groups, to your point, do we think that the Giants, it was tactically what they did on last night against Geelong? Or do you think it was a little bit more of old school, just effort, intent, respect for a great leader and an individual taking it upon himself to get the job done. Well, the eye test would suggest that it was the latter. Yes. yes. Even yeah. though, of course, yeah. there are tactics behind it all. But it did seem that they had a pep in their step. There was a presence that yes. Toby has. And did Carlton have it? No, they haven't. I don't think they've had it this, this last period of time. Uh, and they need to get it. They just, you know, you look at Toby, you know, he just, to compare, and we use him, just does everything right when they need it. If you go back to last year, their last four games, how were some of those last two-minute mistakes that they made? Like, how many how many things did they butcher in the last quarter against Collingwood? I was watching that game, and the frustration that I felt as a neutral observer was like, how do the professional players make some of those mistakes late in game? And that's not game plan. That's what you learn in the under-12s. That You know, late in game, you keep width on the ground or know the situation. So I feel for the coaches there, but more... But then they need to work on their areas as well and have a good plan because they've got too much quality. So I think it's somewhere in the middle, isn't it, where you've got to be all on the same page and really own it and work through it. They're not a million miles off. Despite all we talk about, they're not. But it's been able to unlock it. And that is the question. Can they unlock what they need to do? And if you can't, you might as well be a million miles off, isn't it? That's right. It's whether they can unlock it because it's there. It is there for the group, I believe that, watching them play. Well, they've got the players to suggest That's it's right. there. But time and time again, Sarah, they're unable to unlock it and actually execute yep. on the day. Six of the last seven they've lost, and it puts Michael Voss under the microscope, rightly or wrongly. I'm that's not... a, no, no, that's okay. Yeah, Th it, That's the job. That's the job. That's so he's job. under the microscope as the coach. There's, it's more multi-layered than that, but as the senior coach, he's under the pump. He's 18 months into his role. He's got another 18 months to go on his contract I don't know how real any sort of immediate action is. I doubt that it's very real at all. But Damien Hardwick's departure from Richmond will cause conversations behind the scenes, which could ignite the merry-go-round among coaches and clubs. Oh, it's a broader conversation uh, that goes well beyond just Carlton, doesn't it? I think it's really significant Dimmer's decision in regards to Port Adelaide because he did play in a premiership there. I think Port always, and Ken wasn't a Port Adelaide person, but they always seem to favour that. Historically, mm. they do like that link. I think what it does is it, if Koshy doesn't want to move and be stubborn, then if I was Richmond, the first call I would make is to Ken Hinckley. So Koshy might not want to do anything to August, but 
don't sit on your hands, and we're not privy to the discussions behind the scenes, but if I was Richmond, I'd be ringing and saying, well, Ken, what are you doing? Mm. And then there's always a domino effect. So it was really interesting back in 2007 at Essendon, and the interesting part of the irony is that Michael Voss was involved. Carlton sacked Dennis Pagan in about round 15 or 16, and Voss was the hot young player that was looking to coach. I think he was in the media at the time. Essendon made a call on Sheedy earlier than they perhaps would have liked or needed to in order to be in the hunt for Voss. Right. And then in the end, Voss didn't play them on the break, but he decided to become an assistant at West Coast. He felt that he wasn't ready at that point in time. So Carlton had gone, then Essendon went early, and in the end, I think Carlton might have... Was it Brett Ratton and Essendon went with Matthew Knights? Mm -hmm. But it was all governed by Voss being available and not wanting to miss that conversation with him. So in a sense, it's repeating itself in a different way where you've got to be in it to win it. Now, if you are a club that would like to consider change or see what's going on with a Damien Hardwick, then you need to have that conversation now, I think. it's You're negligent if you don't. Mm. No doubt his phone is running Oh, hot. no doubt. Now, because Port Adelaide need to work out what they want to do. Like, as we, they sit at eight and two, they're playing Richmond here today. If Kenja man, why wait to August? Just on the Carlton front, that's yep. the coach. But what about the captain? Because I feel like Patrick Cripps, of course, the Brownlow medalist of last year, he's not in that form. And regularly now, teams are sending players to him. I mean, Isaac Heaney was, was sent to him on Friday night, which is very unusual for yeah. Heaney to be playing that kind of negating role, but it's having an effect. And I feel like as soon as Patrick Cripps is ineffective, that midfield just looks a little bit listless and very same-same. Paddy Cripps is a coal-faced player, big-bodied at the contest. Away from that, he you can't have it's you can't have too many of him because he's not a, an elite transition runner. So you have pieces around him because he's the bull and he's so good at that. Now, if he is a little bit sore or carrying an injury, that makes that even more difficult. Big-bodied in Heaney, try to match him in his weapon. If you can take away someone's strength, then you do expose their weaknesses and every player is like that. Um, you always defer to um, sticking up for and supporting mm. a player. I remember two years ago, he was really badly injured when he was playing. Yeah, he was. And shoulder, he was, was it shoulder, was it? Uh, yeah, I think shot Was it back also? Yeah. He had some issues. Back, was back. Um, the, the combative nature that he plays, I wonder how, he's, how his body is also. Because last year we saw a free and fit just dominate. Uh, he's not playing at the level. It is hard, though, when you set such a high standard, though. Mm -hmm. Can we just play a little game, Sarah and Scotty? Which clubs are making a call to Paul Connors, Damien Hardwick's, manager over the next few weeks. Now, for balance here and history, Alistair Clarkson's manager, James Henderson, according to the Herald Sun a year or two ago, got a call from about eight or nine different clubs. And the phone call doesn't mean we're offering you a job, but it's just a touch base. So you've already mentioned that um, Port Adelaide would probably call Damien Hardwick, given the connection. Well, they should. They don't have a coach at the moment. They, they, sorry, they don't have a contracted coach beyond this year, That's so right. they should. So Carlton... Are they making a phone call? Yes. Yep. Yes, they've got. They'll, they would ask. A Gold Coast? Yes. Gold yes. Coast have to. Yes. A West Coast? They should be. West Coast have to make a phone call. But their coach is contracted longer term. It isn't he got two more years? Yeah, but imagine if Adam Simpson decides to leave and you haven't made a phone call and you missed the boat. Yes, Make the, the phone call. And the other two clubs, <laughs> just, you know, just hear me out on this. 
Adelaide and Fremantle. They're both their coaches are out of contract at the end of next year. I'm not suggesting they're in any trouble. But the question goes back to what you said earlier, Scotty. Would they be better off with a Damien Hardwick at Adelaide or Fremantle? Uh... It depends how ambitious you want to be, but in the European sport model or the US sport model, they would probably make that call. Yeah. The, the big difference is, though, with the European sports and American sports is it's so transient. Look, it is, you yeah. just buy and sell players. So you plug in and you plug out. So you never build – you generally never build with a group. Mm. So Knicks and Longmuir are building with a group. So I would say no on that. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So for where they're at and what they're trying to achieve, I'd say no. And what about the scandalous ones, Sarah? Does Melbourne ask the question and does North Melbourne need a plan B? Well, North uh, Melbourne does need a plan B and I'd be shocked if they don't have one already being workshopped yep. because who knows what's going to happen with Alistair yep. Clarkson and his future. Yep. Simon Goodwin's a premiership coach, Tom. He That's is. a no. And he's out of contract at no. the end of next year. I think we summed up or we talked about it in the first hour around their connection between mid and forward and so yeah. forth. So, no. No. Just to round out this Carlton chat, as a forward, Scotty, what do you do with Harry Mackay? Because he Great has question. he has yeah. no confidence at the moment. And you could see when he marked the ball, it was like he had a little person on his shoulder yeah. just chatting yep. in his ear. And yeah, you can see it. And we've all had that little person on our shoulder. It sounds like silly to say you can almost see it in his eyes. Yes. But there is no authority and when he goes back that you think he's going to do it because he's thinking about the outcome rather than process because he has no confidence in his process for me um i i find it nonsensical if anyone suggests would he be better off playing in the vfl what the bloody hell does that achieve mm. so no you keep doing what you're doing because he's still winning the ball um but also when you don't want to shoot perhaps you don't He's got to just keep putting himself in and keep putting himself in. He's got to do a lot of work away from the club. I reckon there's a really um, significant mental aspect to it, and it quite often is with goal kicking, that that's where he's going to get the maximum benefit for me. And I say that without knowing, but I observe him as a really good field kick with a great technique and a super leg. Kicks through it, but he gets in front of the goals and he goes to water, so to speak. So he's got to work out that. So he's got the tools... He's just not fully using them at the moment. So that, to How me, is the mental... How quickly can you fix it? Is it? Does it take one kick from 50? Does it take one week? Or is it an How issue for the rest of the year? How do you do it in season? Yeah, no, how do you do it in season? I, I don't think... For me, I don't think it's a one-week thing because that would be streaky. Yeah, okay. You know, I think he needs to build it, pull it apart and build it up again. And I don't know what without a lot of knowledge, which is always dangerous, but I think he's really got to work out what the routine is and just trust it and own it. Um, the the one that I like how he goes about it, and it doesn't lead to perfect success, is uh, Jeremy Cameron, for me, he just, if nothing else, every time he gets the ball and he marks it, he knows what he's doing, doesn't he? Mm. Sort of pumps the, you see, pushes the ball in he at does, the end. Yeah. So perhaps th that clearly may be something that he's worked on. That Okay, that's when I lock in. Matthew Lloyd threw the grass for the perfect reason. Mm. It was nothing to do with what the breeze was doing it because he, he, he threw it up. A, <laughs> in but, that was, but that was his click. Yeah. I'm in now, zone, routine. What did you do? Process leads to outcome. What did you do? I I gained confidence. I knew my routine. It was never, ever about the outcome, yeah. ever. Once it's about the outcome, we get seduced by the sticks and nervous. Yeah, yeah. It is your process. Trust your process. Outcome will always take care of itself. And that's the same in any sport, in any field. Mm. And, and that's what he's got to get. For me, he's got to get to. Because he lines up and he's not sold on the process. Mm. And I, I still believe, and this is old school, um, 
grumpy old man talking with the goal <laughs> kick. And it's sometimes guys that shoot around the corner, oh, I almost feel that they think, and I'll be critical, that's it's easy. If I miss, no one expected me to get it. Ah. Whereas if you go back and nail the drop punt, the expectation is high, therefore there's more pressure and they don't want to face that. Because sometimes you just go, you can't logically think that you're a better chance to kick a snap there than a drop punt. That, that, just common sense and logic mm. says that. Despite the fact they might feel, say they feel more comfortable, that's because they feel less, less pressure. It doesn't lead to a greater success rate in goal kicking. And can I, before you snap your pages and wrap me up, Sarah, <laughs> which I know that. is coming. This is actually the sermon. <laughs> yeah, sermon. I've enjoyed you the sermon. You want it, Carl, and I wanted something else. <laughs> no, it's good. Four of the six teams that have lost so far had more scoring shots than their opponents. If it is, It has never been more important mm. to nail your goal kicking. Never been more important. Four out of the six losing teams had more shots than their opponents, and it nearly cost Hawthorne the game also, where they kicked 10 more behind St Kilda. They won by 10 points. Mm. St Kilda were 20 points up. Jack Higgins nails one more. That's five out of the six games. So it is really critical to get that element of the game, that aspect correct. But in the end, yesterday at Marvel Stadium, it was Hawthorne 12-16-88, recording a 10-point win over St Kilda, 12-6-78. One of the stars of the show was Connor Nash, and he joins us now. Connor, welcome to Crunch Time. Hi, Sarah. Thanks very much for having me on. How did yesterday's win rate? Because you guys looked to be dead and buried late in that final term, and you came home with the five final goals. It was some finish. Yeah, it was huge. Um, was, yeah, it's, I suppose with... What the club's been going through of late, um, it was just, yeah, it was a big one for the whole club and everyone involved. So, um, yeah, very exciting with the way we way we got over the line. I suppose we've been on the wrong side of some of those games this year. You look back at the Adelaide game, the GWS game, where we lost by two and three points. So, um, to just get a bit of reward for effort for all the work we're putting in was, uh, yeah, it was huge for us now yesterday. Connor, Tom Morris here. Thanks for joining us. James Sicily played an unbelievable game of footy yesterday. Tell us about James Sicily, the person, and James Sicily, the captain. Yeah, Tom, it was, it was ridiculous. Um, I suppose as a midfielder, it was you got a bit comfortable when the ball was kicked long down back. Um, you just saw Sis and said, oh, well, he'll mark it or he'll do something good. So I'll start peeling to the open side. But um, yeah, I suppose Sis, everyone knows him as that fiery character on the field. Um <laughs> But he just leads by example every game. I mean, yesterday was it wasn't a better showing than that. So it was it was just unreal. Um, so it was off the field, sis, very very calm, collected uh, person. Uh, loves his golf, and yeah, he's just very cruisy off the field. Um, but yeah, he's he's a wonderful captain. So um, yeah, love having him out there. Connor, congratulations on the win yesterday in your own form. Many of the Irish players that come out often start their career as half-backs, and if I was to hasten a guess, perhaps the game's in front of you and it's a little bit easier to adjust to it. However, they've thrown you into the midfield. How difficult has that been for you to learn that role? And, and what's been really significant in helping you adjust? Because your form's been outstanding, and well done on that. Yes, yeah, Scott, I suppose... It's been a fair journey for myself. Um, came over, didn't really play the first year. I did start at that half-back, but I um, hardly played in my first year, even at VFL level, was injured. Uh, then went forward because it was, I suppose I was tall and, and could run and was playing that half-forward role. But it just, yeah, as you said, it was a lot harder to read the game. Um, I suppose any of the Irish guys being able to see the game, as you said, in front of you makes it a lot easier. Um and maybe even just following a forward um, and a, like an Aussie guy will bring you to the contest and, and have you involved in the game a lot more. 
Um, whereas a forward, you got to make up your own your own stuff. So, then the last while playing in the midfield um, under Mitch, it, it started at Box Hill, and he said, "Look, you're you're tall, tall fella, um, can run. Let's put you in the midfield. It's a bit like rugby in there as well. So, um, you either get the footy or you you attack the man. So, um, the last while." I'm not too sure. It's it's just kind of I think Mitch said it yesterday in his post game presser that you put in all this work and then it just slowly, slowly starts to come together. So that's the last while it's probably been um coaches just reminding me of what I'm good at and focusing on my strengths rather than in the past I've probably been hell bent on, on fixing my weaknesses a bit too much rather than just making my one word really, really good. So um yeah, that's what I've been working on, is just being that bigger unit inside and, and being able to yeah uh, attack the footy or attack the man. Connie, you mentioned the coach and uh, there has been, without going down the path, uh, additional pressure on the club and the coach this year. He seems like he's handled it extremely well. He's got a very calm demeanour, message is always clear and clearly he's been very positive and supportive of his players, introduced Young into the team. How have you seen his role and his development as a coach the last couple of years? Yeah, I think he's been phenomenal, to be honest. Um, I mean, all the stuff has been going on in the background, and he'd be well aware of everything and all across everything. But he doesn't he doesn't burden us with any of that. Um, we stick to our plan, our process, and has us on this journey. He um, he shows us the vision of where he wants the club to go and how we're going to do it, um, what kind of football we're going to play, and we've had to make adjustments along the way um, for sure. But I think yeah, as you said, he's just calm, collected in, in every in every way, um, and he's been yeah, he's been his relationships with the players have been been huge, which is was which is such a key aspect for any coach these days is just to have really strong relationships with your players. So um, he's had that at the forefront for the last two years, and and it's it's paying dividends now for sure. We're speaking to Hawthorne midfielder Connor Nash. Connor, I'm just wondering how much of an interest, if any, do you take in the other Irish blokes running around playing here? And can you give us a lens as to just how big of a name O'Sheen Mullen is back home? Because he's being described as the Nick Dacos of Gaelic footy. Are those comparisons on point? Yeah, I'd say Zach was fairly spot on with those. Um I suppose, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see any of the Irish guys doing real, real well, just not when we're playing against them. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, nah, you do, you love seeing the Irish boys. I mean, there was four lads out there yesterday, which is phenomenal. I mean, it was an all-Irish half-back line for Geelong at stages there. So, um, Oshin was a phenomenal player at home um, in a good team. They just couldn't get over the line. They were in plenty of finals, grand finals at home. And he was uh, the young star, as he said, um, as, as Tui said, um like Nick Dacos so yeah he did pretty well I didn't get to see the game because it was kind of on when we were we were playing but um, from stats wise he, he seemed to go alright and, and, and probably looked pretty comfortable in, in Geelong's system so um, yeah it's uh, just another one to add to the list down there Yeah it's awesome it's great to see you all playing I think Geelong had three Irish-born players just yep. say for the first time in Ever. VFL, AFL history, a club had three, which is quite amazing, and hopefully there's more to come. Connor, I want to ask you about the week and more, I guess, broadly the year that Hawthorne has had off the field. I'm just interested in how much... I, I expect you to say that it doesn't distract the players, and I believe you on that, but how much does it actually filter into discussions around the group, what's happening behind the scenes at board level or administration level or even um, this, uh, I guess, this racism saga that's engulfed the club now for the best part of a year? 
Yeah, well, I mean, there's no hiding from it. It's everywhere. And that's what Mitch has yep. been really good with. He, he addresses it. I mean, he comes into our meetings and he'll address it for a couple of minutes at the start. And he'll always just bring it back to our plan, what we're doing within the football department. So um, we'll, get our, we'll get our house in order. And, and there's lots of great people at the Hawthorne Football Club. And he reminds us of that the whole time, that this is a great place to be. So um, he, yeah, and he just keeps coming back to that. But yeah, there's, he certainly addresses it and then doesn't beat around the bush about what's happening. And um, yeah, we'll we'll just keep keep to our process down in the footy department. But um, yeah, I think the way he's gone about it has been has been really, really professional. Well, Connor, thank you so much for joining us on Sunday Crunch Time. Coming off a 10-point win against St Kilda yesterday, what do you get up to today, the day after a win? Yeah, well, I'm actually just in the car about to head out to watch Box Hill. Um, they're playing at the hangar against Essendon, so it's actually the first time this year that we've that the AFL crew have been able to get to the, the Box Hill game and see the rest of the lads nice. go on. So, um, yeah, we've been on the road a lot this year, so it's kind of nice to just go out and see the, see the guys um, playing against Essendon. Beautiful. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Connor. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks, Connor. Connor Nash, Hawthorne midfielder, who's starting to play some really good footy and backing it up week on week, isn't he, Scotty? Been very good. I mean, he did touch on it. It's a big call to move into the midfield when, you know, you don't have that foundation of many years of playing midfield. It's hard enough Mm. for young players that have played midfield to come in and learn new systems and so forth. But um, he touched on... Mitch at Box Hill. We've seen, and you get a little idea into Sam Mitchell and how he approaches it with his development and support of the younger guys. He brings them in and developed through his time at Box Hill where, you know, he he spots what he likes and he, he... he summed it up really well. He has a really comforting arm that he puts around his players. Probably one of the untold stories at the AFL or in the AFL landscape at the moment is the VFL ladder because Gold Coast and Brisbane are first and second on that ladder. No, no surprise with Brisbane given their injury list, Sarah, as you've spoken about. Yes, but the Suns have lots of good youngsters coming through that are the second and Box Hill are third, which would please Hawthorne. And can we just say, has any coach started their coaching career under more scrutiny and pressure than Sam Mitchell? I mean, the way that he took over for Clarko was so significant, wasn't it? So there was a a level of pressure that came with that. Then on top of that, we now have, sadly, the racial uh, investigation. It just keeps coming. And then staff stepping down and so forth, and they had the the presidential coup last year. I mean, he's seen it all in a very short space of time. But as uh, Connor said, he's held his nerve. And he just gets around his players and controls what he can. I think he's just about the best media performer. David Teague is next. You're listening to Crunch Time. Zito Power Tools. German-designed quality and innovation powering DIYers. All day, every day. Visit Berwick GMW Haval and test drive the GWM Canon CC. Part of the Berwick Motor Group. Welcome back to Sunday Crunch Time. Sarah, Ollie, Tom Morris and Scott Lucas here at the MCG with Richmond and Yardapoldi set to do battle at 1.10pm. All right, I do believe we've got Richmond assistant coach David Teague with us now. David, do you have us? Yes, I've got you. Welcome (laughs) to Sunday Crunch Time. Just take us into this wild week at Richmond. Did you have any inkling that Damien Hardwick would be tendering his resignation? No, absolutely not. And uh, I think that's a credit to him going into the last couple of games. And obviously we had some disappointing uh, games and he was disappointed with the way we played. His passion and care and... uh, the intensity that he was working at was at such a high level, you just you just wouldn't have picked it. So it came as an absolute shock to, uh, I think, to most of us. 
Andrew McWalter is going to stand in as the interim coach. How did the club reach that decision? And were you asked whether or not you wanted to perform in that role? Uh, no, uh, we, we were told, obviously. Dima gave us a call uh, and told us that he was resigning. And then uh, I think the leadership group of the, the footy club from the uh, president and the executives got together and... Um, they made the decision for Andrew. He's uh, he's well equipped to do it. He knows the Richmond football. He he knows uh, the way we play, and uh, as well as anyone, he's he's very good tactically, and he's had a brilliant week. To be honest, he's uh, handled it really well. Obviously, it's a very different one. Normally, uh, I've been on the uh, I've been in a few situations. I was at Adelaide when when Phil passed away, and then I've also been at a club where it's been sacking. Where this one it was the coach's call. So it was a different feeling. It was a celebration of Dimmer early, and then Andrew's. Uh, Put his head down, worked really hard, and uh, I think he's prepared the boys really well today. Tiggy, no doubt, and we've seen the last couple of weeks, coaching is a bloody tough job, and it takes a real toll. Uh, I guess fortunately or unfortunately, you've been in that position. Can you take us through what is it about the job that is so tough? Yeah, look, it's the constant nature nature of it. Um, even from an assistant, I always say to people, assistant coach, you go into a maybe match committee and you try and influence the best you can. And sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. But you walk out of there and you go, well, I tried my best. But as a senior coach, you walk out of there and then you're weighing up. Even once you make a decision, you're often weighing up. Oh, he had a good point. I like that. But then this other guy, had like, you're just thinking about it. Everyone just wants two minutes, two to three minutes, which is not a lot. But at a footy club when there's lots of people and they all want their two to three minutes, it, it does take time and takes energy and... Um, and then you've got your job to do as well. So it is, it is a challenge job. It's a very rewarding job um, when, when you uh, do get to, and I hope today is a, is a great day that Andrew will never forget. I still remember my first, first game when I got to take over. So you do get some great things, but the toll, I, I often sit back and reflect when I started at West Coast, I think it was in 2010 as assistant, and, and the role, and you're still doing the same job, but the hours and, and the time you put in now is just far greater. So it is, it's become a lot harder on, on your family life particularly. Tiggy, I imagine when you took over as coach, you had a thought around what the job was and the role and what it entailed. What did it entail that you didn't think you'd be doing? There wasn't a lot. There wasn't a lot that I didn't think I'd be doing. Um, probably what I, I, until you go there, is it's just the constant nature of it, your thoughts. Um, I, I was exhausted at the end of the day, so I'd fall asleep, no worries, but I was constantly waking up quite early with my brain already active, going, ready to think about the team, think about training, think about messaging, and um, it was probably the, the constant nature in, in your head. Uh, I probably always thought I was one that could always switch off pretty easily, but uh, as that senior coach, that was probably the one. After a while, you get used to it a little bit, and I've got no doubt that really experienced guys are, are far better at switching off, but it was that constant nature... Um, throughout the week and it's all the time. Footy's such a prevalent thing in everywhere you go, regardless what your job is. They talk about footy, but when it is actually your job as well, that's they're really keen to talk to you about it. So everywhere you go, um, we're very lucky we get to work in a great industry, but it's, it is very uh, all-encompassing. David, when you look at Carlton Football Club now, do you sense that it might be a bit of history repeating itself in some respect with the coach under pressure and other aspects of the club um, really struggling for some continuity and, I, I guess, wins... Uh, you know, losing six out of the last seven games don't help things either. And I guess if, as an addition to that, do you look at Carlton and think, geez, I could be doing a better job than what Michael Voss is now, and you're still frustrated about how that played out? Oh, look, uh, uh, you always do. I, I thought we are on the right track. So I'm not going to lie to you. I thought we are on the right track. And, and one of the key messages when I took over was a, a little bit around stability. And, and I hear them talking about those words now. And I wish they had been talking about it when they were uh, giving me the butt. Uh, <laughs> I would have loved to have stayed. But, um, look, it's a challenging. I, I think uh, I look at the playing group and uh, they've got a lot of talent on that field. And 
I think if I can just get things to work well and, and you've got Brian Cook in charge now, if they can get that stability, get, get that uh, understanding of what a really good football club is and, and listen to the right people and get the right people in place, then they'll be a, a very good footy side. They've got so much talent in that list. Does it make you want to coach again, what happened, or does it sort of dower your, your views on the role? Oh, look, it doesn't dow my views on the role. Um, do I want to coach again? Probably not right now. Um, had Richmond asked me right now, I would have said yes for the last 12 weeks, but I probably in my head would have thought I'll do 12 weeks and then give it over to someone else. And in terms of where my life and my family are at, I, I think uh, you need to you need to be really committed and have 100% um, time to, to devote to the role. So um, down the track, yeah, it's probably something I, I still may, but right now I'm, I'm enjoying being an assistant and... Uh, I look forward to hoping, helping Andrew the best I can being in those shoes before. Obviously, Ben Rutten's there. We've got some experience. Hopefully, we can really help Andrew so that he can uh, put out the best performance for our fans. At the end of the day, we want our players to play well for each other and for the team and for our fans. What would need to change for you to want to coach again, Teague? Oh, look, probably the biggest one of mine is, is just where my family and my life are at in terms of my little young fella. I had to leave his footy early this morning just to get in for this game. Little things like that is, uh, is something I really value and uh, probably even having the job for a couple of years, uh, seeing the little things you miss out on. But, um, oh, look, not a, not a lot have to change. I, I think there, there's a, there is an issue in the industry around the welfare of coaching at the moment. I think it's getting plenty of publicity and... Um, I think it will get addressed. I think it needs to get addressed and it's going to. But, um, yeah, I think the, the support for coaches um, is probably something. And, and the hours and the, the time frame that they, they commit to it, I think a lot of people don't actually quite understand. David, we believe you've got a team meeting to get to, so we'll let you go. But we really appreciate you joining us on Sunday Crunch Time. No, not a problem at all. David Teague, Richmond assistant coach there. Thanks so, so much for that. Could we potentially see him again in the future? It was an interesting comment, um, having a bit of a crack at Carlton's lack of stability when he was there and um, sort of suggesting that they're still unstable now. It's uh, what well, it, it makes sense. He, yeah. he got sacked, so he feels like they weren't as stable as what they were telling him they were. You know, that, that's, a, that's a human reaction when someone stacks you. And clearly they're not now. No, they're not. Where there's, you know, smoke, there's fire, and there's a little bit of smoke at the moment, isn't there? Mm. But um, I think his comment, his 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 answer about the que about the coaching role and how difficult it is, waking up early in the morning, thinking about the gig, it gives me more respect for coaches that do it for five, oh. 10, 15 years. I mean, think of what Damien Hardwick's done and winning. You know, how hard must it be when you're losing? Um, he did it at a time. Carlton, and you don't escape it. No, Carlton's fan base is so impatient, naturally anyway. And given that they haven't played finals since 2013, they've been rebuilding since 2015, he's just part of that um, collateral that's come through the club. Brendan Bolton's another one. I had an assistant coach to me say the other day, uh, might have been on Wednesday, he's no longer in the system. He said yesterday, I had a day off, and it was incredible. He <laughs> goes, because as an assistant coach, a day off, he said I would go and I would code for five or six hours, but I'd sit down at the beach to do it, to be in a nice environment. But that was a, there was just never, and that was an assistant coach. There's never an opportunity to fully switch off. So I can't imagine what a senior coach must feel. Uh, we're, we're really fortunate to get that insight from Teague then to talk about what it is that they face. Plenty more to come on Sunday Crunch Time. Tom, you'll be cracking that news whip out soon. But as we head to the break, it's time for a dabble with Josh Jeans.
You're listening to Crunch Time. Zito Power Tools. German design quality and innovation powering DIYers. All day, every day. Visit Berwick GMW Haval and test drive the GWM Canon CC. Part of the Berwick Motor Group. Welcome back to Sunday Crunch Time. Sarah, Ollie, Tom Morris and Scott Lucas here at the MCG pretty, I would say, underwhelming crowd at the moment with the Tigers taking on Yartapulti at 110. But Tom, let's crack out the news whip. On Crunch Time, the news whip with Tom Morris. Tom, let's start with the MRO, your favourite. <laughs> I've got a lot of favourites, Sarah. Adam Chera, dangerous tackle on Tom Hickey. He's been offered one week for Friday night's incident. Luke Parker, for also for a dangerous tackle, offered one week. His next game was to be his 100th consecutive match. And based on this year, where zero players mm. have got off uh, via an appeal at the tribunal, you'd suggest that Parker and Chera will both miss the next games. And I would say fair enough for both. Not in terms of what you want from the game, but in terms of what we've seen this year as a precedent. Both tackles were graded as careless conduct, high contact and medium impact. But from yesterday, your man, Scotty, James Sicily, best on ground, three voter. He'll be looked at for a high bump on Anthony Caminiti. How will this be graded, do you think? Tom, don't do that to us. <laughs> Tom, no one knew about it. <laughs> I don't think it can be argued that he elected to bump, um, unlike uh, last week's, uh, unlike what Lockie Hunter argued against Port Adelaide last week. It's whether the glancing blow warrants low impact, which would be a fine, or medium impact, which is one week. I'm leaning towards one week here, purely based on the fact that he elected to bump, and it was a glancing blow, but... Um, the potential to cause serious injury is evident. And I'd be surprised if Sicily played Hawthorne's next game, which is a huge blow for them. And here at the MCG yesterday, Jago O'Meara could be in some trouble for a dangerous tackle on Charlie Spargo. We've seen this before. I just spoke about it. I think uh, O'Meara will get a week for this as well. He had Spargo's arm pinned. It's whether the force of Spargo's head hitting the ground was enough, but I feel as if it was. Can... I... A little bit off topic, as I often go, Sarah, as you look at me like that. We'll, we will have to, and this is a serious comment, change mm. the Brownlow rules. Yep. We will have no one eligible. Mm. If we look at this change in the game, and I'm all for it, we also need to talk about the fairest component, because I don't think these dangerous tackles are unfair or within this... Because they're, it's a football act that they call it overzealous or unlucky. We need to have a broader conversation or we'll get to the end of the year and go, oh, we've got the player 10th, the 10th most votes well, winning the Brownlow medal. to change it. Well, I don't think the players do it. So I want to stick up for the players. They don't do it intentionally or deliberately to hurt someone. It's technique, I think. Can't they change that? Players are smart. <laughs> yes, but it is they such a split-second reaction. They have learned. Yeah, they're, they're, but... We've still also got to have a philosophical debate about what's the fairness component. Are there certain things? Because we're, years ago, how many more layers have we added to what you can get reported for? No, I agree. I'm with you. I think the careless and intentional aspect is really important. And Jimmy Bartell said that. Just drop it down. If it's careless, yeah. they're eligible. If it's intentional, yes. which is a non-football act, they're yeah. not eligible. Just some injuries, Sarah, as we, uh, as we push Darcy, along. Sean Darcy, because that was one of the injuries here at the MCG mm. yesterday. He went off. Luke Jackson really starred solo in the ruck. But Sean Darcy, how long will he be out? Well, well can we ask Scotty Lucas? The, the, you can ask. I don't know. You don't know. But uh, I know Didn't why you're asking. We look after Sean. I just asked how he was and yep. he said okay scans when they get back to yep. Perth um, you assume he, he's been subbed out that for those guys it's generally 
three weeks, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is, yeah. yeah. So Hunter Clark, the fear for him is it's a medial ligament in his left okay. knee on the minor end, Ross Lyon said, but he'll still miss some footy. He's unlucky, isn't he? Very unlucky. He's had a lot of bad injuries and w- really weird mix of injuries. Paddy Dangerfield's hoping for next week versus the Dogs. Depends on how he trains this week. The Cats do have the bye the week after, yeah. which is the conservative route. If you go with Chris Scott and history, yeah. it'd be unlikely <laughs> that he would They would like play. to have a win, though. The Dogs, yeah. they would like to have a win. And Carlton's Triple H will all miss. That's George Hewitt, concussion. Uh, Holland's eight. shoulder and um, and Cripps with his ankle and also Nick Newman with a hamstring as well. It's just a... And we get the Triple H out of that. Yeah, because Nick Newman has a hamstring that starts with H as well. <laughs> along, <laughs> along with so we've got surname, <laughs> so We've got names on two, injury on three. Seriously, it doesn't make much sense, Got to hold it? you to a Triple call. H. I did like WWE when I was growing up, and Triple H was uh, one of my favourites. Asaba Radigalia, also one of your favourites, Scotty. More than just hamstring tightness, Chris Scott said. He was subbed out in the third quarter. But for Carlton, they could have five changes next week if Adam Chera, um, if, if he doesn't appeal his suspension either. So they're going to have uh, a big team selection, a big match committee this week, Sarah. And once again, they are going to be a talking point. But today we've got three matches coming up, including this one at the MCG with Richmond taking on Yatapolti. We've seen really wild results all weekend. Are they going to continue into this Sunday, Tom? Scotty, there is form. I don't know the exact stats with a new coach taking over and that yeah. coach winning week one. Oh. I tip Port Adelaide, but my tips are terrible this week, so I wouldn't be listening to me. How many tips are you on? One. Yeah. <laughs> i got Essendon. That's it. And I'll never tip Carlton again, Sarah. Not this year. They've burned me too many times. What about you, Scotty? Who wins this one? Port. Okay. And the subs, Judson Clark is Richmond's sub for the third week in a row. Okay. And fourth time this year. And Francis Evans is the Powers sub. But I'm looking forward to the Pies game, as I always do, Sarah. They're great to watch at the moment. Well, this is on paper, not a blockbuster. Collingwood coming up against mm. North Melbourne at Marvel Stadium. So just across from where we are. But it's a really significant day for two Pies. Steel side bottom. He becomes just the fourth Magpie to play 300 games and he's keeping really good company when you think the other Pies are Gordon Coventry, Tony mm. Shaw and Scott Pendlebury and then Mason Cox for another reason. He brings up game 100 today and what a remarkable story he's had. So it's going to be a day to celebrate, I would expect, yeah. for Collingwood at Marvel Stadium. Mason Cox, his career was on life support and he's spoken about that. His 60 Minutes interview that he did with the USA, he discussed how his career looked like it was almost done. What a great effort for him and he's in career best form I'd say. He's playing more consistent footy than he ever has done. Spot on. 100 games, huge effort. And he is. He's in career best form. No and still side bottom. Speaking of consistency, he's just uh, he's, he's no worse a player now than he was a decade no. ago. And you could argue he might be better. He's a great footballer. Well, and he was asked during the week, are you going to be eyeing another milestone, i.e. 350 games? And he kind of said, well, yeah, like my body's feeling good. And, and like someone like yeah. a Scott Pendlebury, he's very similar. Green, aren't yeah. they? Yes. Uh, look, the difference between their best and their worst is like negligible, negligible. Yeah. both of them so they've got a really similar career profile and why not yeah. um, not many 300 gamers with a, a lower profile in a sense no. when you think about <laughs> yeah. it he plays for Collingwood yes yeah. and he's a star an out and out star yet he just likes to fly under the radar mm. what a star Round 11 is going to conclude at Adelaide Oval at 4.40pm it is the Crows taking on the Lions for mine they're saving the best till last and I'm looking yeah. forward to the Crows you hopefully the Crows, standing up today because they were really disappointing at um, Mars Stadium in Ballarat last week. Some strange selections with Taylor Walker not playing. He comes back in. So does Riley Thilthorpe, Tom Duday, Josh Worrell. And for the Lions, they have Daniel Rich and Darcy Gardner in. So the Lions are really at full strength. But would you expect a response from the Crows? Yes, look, I think uh, they weren't great last week, but with... 
Tex and uh, Riley T out. I won't try his surname. <laughs> uh, that, that changed the way that they brought the ball forward, which made it more difficult. And Tex was always having a rest, so it was just uh, planned in the calendar. So they get them back, certainly improve them, much better at home. Tough trip, Ballarat. But Brisbane are in uh, great, great form. form. Yeah, they yeah. are. They should be too strong. Brisbane and Collingwood are clearly the two most informed teams in the competition at the moment. But going to Adelaide's never easy. And Collingwood, well, you could argue Collingwood um, probably shouldn't have won that game at Adelaide Oval if things had gone the Crows' way. So this is not going to be easy for Brisbane, but I'm still tipping them, Sarah. Not that that means anything at the moment. Not with your <laughs> tips, my friend. Sunday's action, it kicks off here at the MCG. Richmond taking on Yatapulti.